Hi there, I'm Jason. And I'm Joseph. And this is The Trek-In, a weekly-ish podcast talking all things Star Trek. This week, we're discussing Star Trek Discovery Season 3, Episode 8, The Sanctuary. So let's get into it with the recap. We open with Culver and Giorgio verbally sparring. Giorgio's condition is deteriorating, and she reluctantly accepts his medical expertise. Book tells Burnham that he's received a message from his adoptive brother and must return home. The Emerald Chain is involved, so Michael brings it to Saru and Admiral Vance. The planet Quajon has been under their control since they stepped in to solve the planet's sea locust crisis. The situation facing Quajon is all too familiar as the Emerald Chain exploits pre-warp civilizations for their own needs. The Admiral agrees to send Discovery to observe under the condition that they jump back at the first sign of danger. Tilly is tasked in helping Saru find a snappy Captain catchphrase. They both meet with Stamets and Adira to discuss their findings on the SB-19 data. The source of the burn has been found, emanating from the Verubin Nebula. The signal they detect is within audio range, and it sounds just like the mysterious melody we've been hearing. Upon cleaning up the distortion, they determine that it's actually a Federation distress call. After Tilly and Saru depart, Adira comes out to Stamets about their preferred pronouns. Upon arriving at Quajon, Book and Burnham beam to the planet and enter the Sanctuary, an area protected by shielding so they are unable to be beamed out. They encounter the Sea Locusts, which are far too inland and are destroying the harvests. They are promptly captured by Book's brother, Kaihim. Discovery picks up on their long-range scanners the Viridian, the flagship of the Emerald Chain's leader, Osira. Rin demands to see Saru and wants off the ship, as he is mistrustful of the Federation. He reconsiders once learning Osira is coming. Back in sickbay, Giorgio's scan isn't going well. Her sedation is filled with visions of blood and the apparent death of someone named San. Culver keeps the scan going as best as he can, but Giorgio awakens and leaves sickbay. Osira arrives and hails Discovery. She is indignant about the Starfleet presence and demands Saru hand Rin over. After she hangs up, Saru questions Rin as to why Osira wants him. He refuses to explain. Book and Kaim spar about morality, and then Kaim takes a call from Osira in private. Osira wants Book as leverage to get Rin. Kaim refuses, and Osira starts carpet bombing the planet. Rin finally wants to help because he owes Book, so Saru has him and Detmer use Book's ship to take out the shields and weapons on the Viridian. Detmer goes full manual and blows the hell out of them. Osira departs, but wants war with the Federation. Book and Kaim use their combined empath powers with some help from Discovery's deflector to fix the issue with the Sea Locusts. The crew celebrate in the mess hall. Rin apologizes to Tilly about his misgivings regarding the Federation. He reveals his secret. The Emerald Chain is nearly out of dilithium. Book finally seems on board with the Federation. Michael gets to work on fixing his ship. I feel this episode had two really big things going on for the plot, but they were so just kind of like pushed to the side to let this big filler episode kind of exist you know we got the beginning where we're like we really went into the burn like this is the origin of the burn holy fucking shit we should spend the whole rest of the episode it's at starfleet talking to admiral vance like to me that's that's the obvious next step not just go on this mission and do this rant and do this thing it was a good episode i just felt like it was filler for the most part even though i think the ramifications of the episode are going to be more important than the actual situation you know, everyone wants Rin. Why does everyone want Rin? You want Rin. You want Rin. You want Rin. Everyone wants Rin. Why? Oh, because he knows that they're running out of dilithium. That fell really flat for me because isn't everyone running out of dilithium? Like, isn't that the issue? <laughs> no, it was a scarce resource even before the burn. So, I mean, like, everyone should be dealing with that. And that's why, I guess, the Emerald Chain and other and other forces are assholes is because they everyone wants what dilithium is left. I think the whole entire premise of this show is going to get turned into like Federation will give you technology to no longer need dilithium because discovery in its magical spore drive. I agree on, oh, look, 
we f- we found out where the burn is, but we're not gonna do anything about it right now. We got to do this other thing. We got to go on a side quest. And and I feel like this side quest, Michael Burnham, where usually she's up forefront solving everyone's problems, I feel like she was just kind of a, a prop in this episode. Like yeah, like the the relationship between Book and his bro just didn't really do it for me. I, I didn't feel it was believable. I, I, and to me, it's just sloppy writing. This is the first episode where I, I felt like the writing really did not encapsulate the turns and the plot twists that we're going for here, especially where the one thing that I've kind of been looking forward to and the one thing that was constant about Book is that he didn't want to be part of this. And at the end of the episode, he goes and says, I, I, I believe in the Federation. I want to be... I want to continue on this path. I'm going to stay. I'm going to stick around. So the one thing I would, that I thought was a character trait of book that he was going to be this character who keeps coming in and out because he's a, a man of his own path. He's now joining the Federation, which I guess is kind of the point, but it's just so rushed. It's just so rushed and so forced. That part I didn't have an issue with because, you know, being a part of the Federation doesn't mean being a part of Starfleet. And it makes sense because the Federation, you know, they are humanitarian. So I can see Book wanting that. I do agree that it was rushed. Book's brother didn't do it for me. Kaheem. I think part of it was I didn't really think Kaheem's actor was very good. And then also, you know, it, there was a lot of like tell but not show going on with like the plot on the planet. Like they kept talking about like this famine and like, how, you know, Kaheem's son was going to starve and like stuff like that. But like everyone that we saw on the planet, they seemed fine. I didn't see any like they got they all seemed to be doing pretty OK. And also like the planet scenes were like they're in a forest or they're like in Kaheem's like living room or whatever. So which is a very nice living room. I would I would kill Do you imagine how much that apartment costs. I mean, oh, my fucking God, that was a gorgeous place. I, I, yeah, I agree. I've, if they wanted to do pull like a shot where we go to the village and we see the famine or we meet his family and everyone's like, help me, is Santa Claus going to come today? No, Santa Claus has been killed by the Emerald Chain for years now, son. Okay. You know, if they had a scene like that, maybe we could feel something. But the planet, I didn't feel anything. And this beautiful place that we're supposed to be talking about like was just a rusty forest. Also, we need to talk about how their scientists have been working on this sea locust problem for years. They're best scientists and they couldn't figure it out. And then Michael Byrne was just like, hey, you guys are both empaths. Why don't you guys put your noggins together and uh, we'll use a deflector dish and we'll discovery ex machina this shit. and We'll get it done in like five minutes. All right, everybody, let's use technology and all hold each other's hands and do kumbaya. Everybody, kumbaya! Kumbaya, the sea locusts. Done. It's the exact same shit they pulled on Kaminar last season, and I I hated that shit then, because it's just like, oh, we're gonna, I don't know, use the deflector dish to amplify some signal to completely, you know, fix a problem. It's very, I mean, Star, Star Trek does do that. It's not a purely discovery issue. It happens. But to me, it's just sloppy writing. You know, I feel like every place we go, the discovery is just fixing problems with their magical mushroom drive. And the people, it's not just the drive, it's the people on the ship. And I, I get it. That's the story we're telling. But I would like to see why the Federation is so ineffectual that it requires the discovery 
to be this magical renaissance tour through the through the universe like show me why the federation basically sucks so it takes someone so you know a, a ship that's a million times less advanced with a crew that's a thousand years out of date show me why that's important but in order to show me that show me how bad things are like we we see it a little bit a planet to planet but we're not seeing the Federation for what they are. In fact, when we do meet the Federation, we're all in awe. But where is where is it the fact that they're cynical or broken that it takes Michael Burnham and company to solve all the problems? Like that's to me where the problem with this show is still is that they're doing a lot of tell and not show, as you were saying earlier. But in the big strokes, you really can't afford to do that. And I feel like we're missing so much and we're just racing to fix all the problems which bothers me. Like, I want the problems to stay. We still need, like, if they fix the burn and we get the answers within, like, three more episodes, I'm going to be pissed. I, I I mean, I wish we had more to talk about as far as the burn, but essentially it was, you know, oh, hey, we know where it is. Oh, hey, it's emitting the weird music. So that's, you know, mysterious melody plot line, picking up on that a little bit. And then they cleared it up and it was... Uh, a Federation distress call. So Federation confirmed, maybe, for a cause of the burn. Something's going on. Something's going on. There's a ship at the center of it all, and they're going to be responsible. Like, oh, we flipped the wrong switch. Sorry. We were we were working on something. Our bad. Um, I mean, knowing how the show plays out, the discovery is in the nebula somehow also. It's the Calypso factor. Where was it? It was hanging out in the nebula. It was hanging time. out in a nebula. That is true. I trust me. My ears perked up when they were like, oh, it's coming from a nebula. And we know that Philippa, based on everything that we saw, I'm pretty sure that Philippa is going back in time. Or to the mirror universe. One of them. Maybe both of them. Yeah, she's going somewhere. Well, if she's getting her own th- show, Sex and 31, then she's still staying in the prime timeline. What if it's the Guardian of Forever? Oh, God damn it. That would be awesome. I'd be totally down for that. Wouldn't that just be in line with like the cage deep cut from last season? It's back. The Guardian's back. We're going to use the Guardian of Forever to either send uh, Giorgio back in time or like to the mirror universe or whatever the fuck, because it's a thing that could probably do those things. No, the Guardian could definitely do that. And they love their TOS fan service. So there is that. Talk about the Emerald Chain for a second. Uh, Osira, lover. Like I love her too. I do. She's a good villain. She is great. I, she's she has class. She has brutality. She is a good villain in Tar. Played by Margot Kidder's niece, I think. I did see that. Yes, and she looks exactly like her freaking aunt. And she instantly earned brownie points with me because she fed her insufferable nephew to a transform. So that was awesome. Yeah, and I, I mean, the guy was a douchebag. I mean, like I would have th- fed him to a transform years ago, but like she was like, nope. All right, I tried. I tried, but. I'm just going to have to let you go. I, I really, I enjoyed her her sparring with Saru, like when she shows up. And she's basically like, yeah, I know you got the Andorian. Uh, it's very quaint that the Federation is here, um, but get the hell out. And he tried. I mean, he he threw all the Federation book at her. And she was just like, Mm-mm, not going to fall for it. Like, I'm, we're just going to declare war. Like, you, you fuck with us just a little bit more. And it's a war. So don't do it. And then Tilly and her brilliant mindedness was like well what if we use a ship that's not part of the federation to do it even though it's coming from our ship i did like the plausible deniability factor there i did think that was clever it's good for government politics but like still she's she's watching 
the, the ship come out of Discovery's butt and goes and beats the crap out of her. So, yeah, I guess it's like it's one of our pilots who's going to get horribly grounded and her allowance taken away for going rogue. But you know what? Like, if that's what Detmer needs to work through her PTSD, I guess go for it. They gave it to Detmer. Hashtag Detmer take the wheel. You know what? I was I was iffy on Rin throughout most of the episode, but I did once he decided to actually help. Like, I was like, yeah, you're all right. Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah, I don't think they needed the, the scene with the cat, though, because it was like it's like he'd never seen a small furry animal that was cute and wanted pet time. I mean, he grew up as a slave, so I don't know if he exactly had time for pets. Then he shouldn't have said, oh, like a pet, like was the next word out of his mouth. Like, yeah, exactly. Why are you freaking out? I was going to say, if they were going to go into battle, like I wish that they had taken Grudge off the ship. Yeah, I thought Grudge was still living on Discovery in Michael's quarters. But I guess when Michael moved in to Book's place, like I feel like Michael doesn't even live on the Discovery anymore. She look, lives in Book's ship most of the time. And that's where they have their little apartment. Just banging it out on the, the flight deck. Yeah, pretty much. I did like once uh, once they had disabled Osiris ship, like Saru calls and he's like, hey, looks like you guys are having some problems. Like, would you like some Federation assistance? She says, no, I would have liked the moment if like if, if Detmer did enough damage and like the engines were fucked and like they needed help and the Discovery had to like actually pull them up before they could do the repairs and go to warp. I think that would have been a nice scene. Um, to add to the insult to injury and Osira really would have been pissed about all that. I, w- I would have upped that to really make it because she was just like, no, I don't need your help. And by the way, I'm going to tell mom and we're going to go to war with you in about five minutes. She can regret all of these things. Okay, bye. How did you like Tilly workshopping uh, Captain catchphrases for Saru? I thought that was kind of adorable. It was adorable. It was adorable. It, it, I feel like it was something, I mean, it was a thing on Lower Decks. So now it's a thing and and this too, and it, it really make that made this an hour a running gag on Star Trek. I mean, everyone has it. I mean, like it's been a it's been a joke. Um, execute did not land. Manifest. Manifest. Who came up with that one? No, I didn't like that one at all. I feel like that was definitely Tilly. Like Tilly definitely came up with manifest. And when Saru was like manifest, she was like, oh yeah, no, it's totally stupid. Who would say that? Yeah, so that's not going to be it. I, I didn't like that. And she she knew it. She knew it was a bad call. If she ever makes captain, that's going to be hers for sure. Carry on. Mm, he tried that. Honestly, I hope that one sticks because I kind of like it. It's very uh, it's very British. And Saru reminds me of uh, a tall, lanky Englishman. So that's fair. My favorite one in Discovery, I think, was Lorca's, which was just simple. It was just go. It, it was very Lorca. And the more and more I miss, I, I just miss Jason Isaacs. And maybe I just have a little bit of a crush on him because he I just love the way he delivers anything. So when he was just like, I have no time for anything. Go do what I say. Sad that we're in a pr- we're never actually going to know what happened to Prime Lorca. No, I, we assume that he because he ended up in the mirror universe and he probably got killed 15 seconds later. Yeah, probably. Because he was probably like, what is this place? What's this? What's this? You know? This Terran's in the air. What's this? What's this? There are phasers everywhere that are pointed at me and dead. Let's talk about Adira, because there's a lot of cute Adira stuff. Adira and their pronouns. Yes, Adira got the their pronouns, the they and their, um, which was a big deal for finally acknowledging, because we've been saying her and she, because that's what they've been using. And so they immediately made that a thing. And they said, we're going to do this. We're going to finally acknowledge that that and and they are going to come out and so Adira did and it's like 
all right, nice. And Stamets handled it the way we all hope that people would handle it when you do come out to them. Just like, okay, that's what we do. So that was that was really, really cool. I also liked later in the episode where Adira and Stamets had like a jam session. Yeah, that was, I almost expected that to go a little bit longer. I admit to being very, almost disappointed that we didn't get another minute of that uh, for it to be like this beautiful medley thing and just make it a musical almost like uh, the next uh, not the next like the inner light um kind of motif like give us a song give us something that we can have on a soundtrack that's a composition like i really maybe we're gonna get that anyway but i would have liked to have seen it it was a beautiful scene it was a break from everything to me it was one of the more wholesome elements of this episode that kind of made me like not be annoyed with it like i liked it it was super wholesome also wholesome Adira and Adira's two gay dads like I I really enjoy them sort of being like Adira's surrogate parents like I think it's really it's really cute especially Stamets but also Colbert like it's cute yeah it was it was a love like but you know like I'm, I'm awake I'm, I'm I'm here guys I'm listening to everything you're saying oh sorry no nah, it's fine it's fine it's just sleeping but when they put the when they put the jacket on them it was it really just made me all warm and fuzzy inside. It was a lovely parental moment. I think it's done a lot to humanize Stamets as a character because I wasn't overly fond of Stamets prior to this season. Um, I thought they were, you know, just a little too abrasive. And But I, I really, like, I am genuinely like, oh, that's a really cute relationship. Yeah, Stamets has grown a lot. Coburn has grown a lot this season. He actually has a character this season, I I feel like I'm more and more t- attached to Coburn every single time he gets in a room with Philippa. Uh, the I feel like everyone on the ship has gotten used to Philippa's empty, cruel threats and has been practicing witty comebacks, you know, for whenever she throws them at him. And I think Coburn's just gotten so used to it that he's ready for it. It's like if I had time, I would poison your children. If I had time, bitch, I'd have children. Now, if we can sit in the fucking chair and let's do our job. But now Colbert and uh, and Stamets do have a child. It's Adira. Do you think that Gray is gone for good, or do you think that this is this is just a temporary thing? I think there's a reason why Gray is not there. I think every single time Adira is making connections and evolving their character, there's a reason behind this. I, I at least I hope so, and they don't just pop Gray back in one day. I'm like, hey, Adira, what's up? Um, I feel like there, there's got to be a reason for this. Something is happening, something that's causing Gray to, to take a step back or not have that connection. Um, whatever that is, we'll, we'll probably find that in the next few episodes. Maybe it has something to do with the song. Maybe it has something to do with uh, Dira coming out. Maybe it has to do with, I, I don't know. I, I'm, there hasn't, the only Adira stuff we've gotten is just a little bit of their sitting in the background, making a comment or, or fixing something, working on the algorithm. They haven't really done a lot. They haven't really done a lot with Adira plot-wise. Character development-wise, yes, but not plot. So I'm waiting to see what this is. I don't think Grey is gone for good. I, I don't think you get that actor to play this role. And I'm pretty sure the actor is involved in the next season. So there's something causing it, I think. Adira has already kind of proven that they are psychologically prone to like holding things back and being insecure and having these psychological blocks. So maybe it has something to do with that too. So. Yeah. I don't, I don't think we've seen the last of gray, which is good because I really like that character. I kind of wonder if eventually gray will kind of fade out 
forever and just become like a background memory like the rest of the previous hosts. But I mean, for now, at least, I I really like them kind of exploring that dynamic. So I, I'm not ready for Grey to go. Yeah. And in my wildest dreams, I'd love for them to find a way to take Grey out of Adira and put into a new body for himself to look kind of like the way Colbert did his his thing. I wouldn't have thought that was possible, but then season two resurrected Colber the way that it did. So, you know, never say never. Yeah, it's Star Trek. Anything's possible. And with, with Discovery, they don't really care about logic or plot. Everything's magic. Hell, the ship runs on a magic mushroom network. So I, anything is possible if they want to do it. And if they want to make Grey be Adira's little side little shoulder dragon too that then that's what we have shoulder dragon detmer finally was given some some good shit and i think she's finally gonna get her shit together um philippa is just glorious whenever she has screen time so i'll take it that was interesting when she her first instinct was to go help michael and colbert was just like no no i know what you're doing no the alarm's going off. You're going to have to save Michael. You didn't help her last time. We're not going to do this again. Come, let's talk. And that's when the episode ended. We didn't get to find out what that conversation's about. I assume that's what's going to we're going to hear about in the next in the next episode. Giorgio basically was like, "I'm dying." And he's like, "Not that cut and dry." So, she is dying, yes, slash also no. But she is such a hero complex when it comes to Michael. I mean, this that that moment that like Whatever, whatever you said, whatever her motivations were, as soon as Michael was possibly in trouble, it was, boom, got to go save Michael. Must go save Michael. It was like a, like a Terminator protecting John Connor kind of a situation. And only because she thinks she's a liability to Michael did Cobra convince her not to like go and do whatever. Like I picture she would have killed everybody who stopped her from going down to the planet if she didn't realize it herself that she was a liability and she couldn't help. That is the only thing keeping her from not murdering everybody. Yeah. I mean, Michael is the only connection she has in this universe slash timeline. So, I mean, makes sense. My favorite line from Michael, this entire episode was, come on, I have something to show you. And you could, you could peel a, a piece off of Linus's face. It was something like that. The, the Linus peeling off face joke with the little, with the little child. That was cute. That was very cute. That made me happy. The scene in the mess hall with the bridge crew and like Detmer talking to them about like her piloting the ship and everyone's like laughing and having a good time. And like, you can kind of see the chemistry. I loved that. It was, it was, you know, it wasn't long, but it really did show like, oh, these actors actually have really good chemistry when they're allowed to have chemistry. I imagine the actors have been doing nothing but sitting on their ass in uniform building up relationships for the last three years they are finally giving stuff to do, but they have two years prior of just hanging out and doing not much of anything. I imagine they developed a good rapport together. Or a lot of those actors play D and D together. Oh really? That's awesome. They play D and D together. And guess who the DM is? Is it Detmer? The DM is Rin's actor because Rin's actor is married to Tilly's actor. Holy shit. Really? Yeah. Rin and Rin and Tilly are a thing. IRL. That's so sweet. That's awesome. Rin is, you know, banging it out with Tilly and DMs for the bridge crew. And like, that's how, like, that's their team workshopping thing outside of work. That's great. I love that. I'm one of the, uh, I remember uh, them hearing about uh, Vin Diesel with uh, Julie Dench playing D&D on the set of uh, 
Chronicles of Riddick. And that those those stories always make me make me giddy. I love that. Yeah, it's cool. It's and it's a good way to develop rapport between actors that can translate over into, you know, the show. Yeah, I really and there it is. That that scene really showed it. I believe that they were all friends. Like I remember in the first season they tried to pull that um that kind of scene and it just like I kind of rolled my eyes. I'm like, oh, we're supposed to feel like they're all friends. But in this, I totally believed it. I mean, it's been three years and they've had a lot of bonding together. So they, they've nailed it. I'm so happy the bridge crew actually has characters. Well, starting to. It's it's still they still need work. But it's coming. It's it's getting there. So let me rant for a second because I almost never get to. Oh my god. Kelvin Universe reference confirmed. Like that's yep. that is super exciting. I I live for that kind of shit. And like I am so interested to know about this time soldier who is apparently from the Kelvin universe. I I died. Like that has been the most like that is the thing that I think about the most from this episode. Um by a large margin. Because it was a good it was a fine episode. It was a you know standard episode. Um but I just I I am like I never expected to get a reference to the Kelvin timeline in the prime timeline. So I think that's very exciting. It's extremely exciting. As soon as and not only that, we get a reference in the Kelvin timeline in this timeline wearing next generation season one fatigues. Yeah, I mean, like that's that's what we got. Like so the Kelvin timeline does evolve to next generation status. Well, maybe because I'm reading it as in like they're from the Kelvin universe, but like those aren't necessarily the uniforms of the Kelvin universe. Like they're like a spy or a time soldier wearing, you know, the TNG costume of the prime universe. It could be that it could be. I, th- I mean, hopefully we get more information about it. And it's not just like here, I'm just going to give you a quick bio of this character that we're never going to learn anything about. And it's going to drive the fans crazy. But I'm just using an example to show that people go crazy and that's it and shut them off. Um, Because there's so much story in everything he said there. I mean, just make a series about that. You you have me. But maybe the reason why the Terran uh, universe is getting so far away is because J.J. Abrams decided to make this new universe. And now this universe is now encroaching closer to the prime universe. And that's why. So now we have drops from from that universe more common than the mirror universe. You know what I'm saying? So that's, we have crossovers now from that. Meanwhile, the guy happened to also be a time traveler. Yeah. I don't know. Super, super cool. Also this, his name has not been said in the show, but like the man in black actually does like have a name. It's like Kovic. It's in the subtitles. Oh, I did not see that. Oh, I should have. I should have. I should pay attention more to that. We can still call him Cronenberg because like it's it's David Cronenberg. He's David Cronenberg. Man with the glasses, the smoking man, man in black, Kovic. And the next the next set of episodes are a two parter. So this is this story is going to take place over two episodes. And I hope that this episode goes into whatever this because the next they have to be dealing with whatever ship is in the nebula next. Right. That's. I mean, you would think so. I don't know if they're taking like a. I mean, I wonder if it's going to be like an A A B plot where like the discovery goes to you know do burn related stuff, and Michael like goes to it some apparently an ice planet with Giorgio to find a thing, which may or may not be the Guardian of Forever. 
Yeah, I mean, who knows what the status of that planet's like these days. So it was like a thousand years ago. It could be. It could look like anything. They go to Antarctica to do that, and Giorgio could use that to bounce back. Still doesn't explain how this, because we always assume that she'd take Discovery, that she'd steal the ship and go back in time and then just leave it there for them. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. I see. I've never ever been like completely sold on like Giorgio going back in time. I just. I figured that they are going to somehow remove her from what is going on with discovery. I didn't know because we don't really know a lot about her supposed show. So like it could be in the past. It could be in the future. It could be in the mirror universe. Like, I don't know. It could be anything. Could be, it could be anything. Um, I've heard from behind the scenes stuff that the setting is surprising, but that could, again, that could be literally anything. That could be literally, that could be exactly like surprising would be anything because we don't know anything. So she could go to any time period, including the one she just came from. And still we'd all be like, were you surprised? I was surprised. I was surprised. Were you, were you surprised too? Oh, ooh, surprise. That's what's going on in the next episode. We're trying to resolve what's going on with Giorgio. And apparently it's semi-related to people crossing time and dimensions. Yeah, and I, I'm glad that they threw the time and dimensions thing in there because I have issue with that. I mean, Star Trek is so throwing around time travel all the time, and it's never been an issue like this. Never. I mean, the temporal wars and everything else like that going on, I think we, we had a little bit from Daniels showing that they, there's problems with nonstop time travel, and I, I, that's fine, but I guess it's the dimensional elements. Like, you didn't just time travel you dimension travel too. You combine the two and you stack and now all your, all your shit's fucked up. Yeah. One or the other, apparently, but not both, not both, not both. You can bounce back between dimensions all you want. Cause we know smiley was doing it in deep space nine all the time. You know, it's like kept going back and stealing people whenever you could. So it's not the jumping dimensions. It's not the jumping between times. It's doing both. Like, okay. So if she, so, but that, then that's the answer. Either she has to go back to the 23rd century or she has to go back to the mirror universe. Based on that diagnosis, those are your only two answers. Yeah, and I'm not really sure which way it's going to go. I mean, I guess we'll know. I guess we'll know soon. I don't think we're ever going to have a Section 31 in the mirror universe. I think that's the amount of world building they'd have to do for that would be so complicated. And in canon, we, we, we'd have to meet Emperor Spock or, you know, and like stuff like that. I mean, it just, I feel like that's just the zaniest thing we could do. Right. And I think that's like a producer's nightmare. It's like we have to build everything. We could use the same sets, but we just have to dress it down differently and get everyone back. And I, I, that's just screaming bloody murder, I think. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that. We'll see. I mean, I guess it makes more sense for them to go back and for her to just do strange crossovers with strange new worlds at the same time. I don't know. I was hoping what you and I had talked about before was that Giorgio would do Section 31 here in this timeline and get involved with that. And her and Cronenberg Kovich would go on wacky adventures, X-File-like adventures. Yeah, that's what I was hoping for. And it seems like that's not going to happen. Yeah, they keep teasing me with a lot of good ideas for shows, and then they rip it from me. They really do. It breaks my heart, Jason. Breaks it. Tears it apart into bits and pieces. Well, it's, it's a just... dark world. 
Just don't go dying from a broken heart. No, I'm, I'm, I think I'm gonna. It's 2020. It's, it's gonna happen. Any other thoughts? No, I don't think so. I think that's really about it from this episode. Not a lot to talk about because all the things that we really do want to talk about, the episode wasn't about. They put a pin in it for next week or teased it on the ready room because that's the thing I really want to talk about. I just want to, I just need to know about this Lieutenant Commander Yor. I am fascinated. Do you have anything else that you can say about that? Because I only watched that scene. I don't know if they teased any other element of it, but that Lieutenant Commander Orr thing, obviously, I hope that is not just something we slide past. They better give us something. I'd be so pissed. Did you recognize the species? Oh, yeah. He was a Beetlejuicean. Uh, same species as Cosmo from earlier in the season. The guy that was chasing Book. Same species. I, I mean, I have a distinct feeling that it's probably just going to be a sly reference to the Kelvin timeline, and that's it. I don't think it's really, I don't think it's as as excited as I am for it. I don't think it's actually going to amount to anything, but I'm still excited for it. I'm excited for any episode with with Cronenberg, so I'll I'll take it. Yeah, that's fair. Cronenberg talking about the Kelvin timeline in the, in the prime universe. I'm here for it. The amount of shit this guy knows, he's got to be section 31, right? He's got to be. He knows everything. Yeah, he, he knows the entire plot of Star Trek. wonder if maybe it was his ship. Like, it's his ship in there. You're going to go in there, and you're going to find a baby Cronenberg hanging out in there with Jeff Goldblum. That's what caused the burn. Not the worst solution. No, no, I'd take it. I'd have fun with it. All right, so follow us on Twitter and Instagram at the Trek in Pod, and feel free to send us any questions, concerns, comments, complaints at thetrekinpod at gmail.com. Until next time, I'm Jason. I'm Joseph. Thank you for listening, and we will trek in with you next week. Hailing the frequencies closed. Good night.